Jane Campion's glacially paced western The Power of the Dog recently had its streaming premiere on Netflix after a small theatrical run. Based on a 1967 novel of the same name by author Thomas Savage, the movie tells the story of widower Rose Gordon, played by Kirsten Dunst, and her lanky awkward son Peter, portrayed by the lanky and awkward Cody Smith McPhee. One day brothers Phil and George Burbank, played by Cumberbatch and Plemons respectively, stop by Rose's Inn for dinner after a long day's work driving cattle. It is here that the gentle and kind-natured George begins to fall for the damaged Rose, much to the chagrin of the thoroughly unpleasant Phil. What follows is a slow and menacing escalation of tension as Rose and Peter are subjected to Phil's tempestuous nature, seemingly destroying everything in its wake. Origami, animal castration, piano recitals, alcoholism, and unwashed denim, all set against the bleak, desolate, and beautiful 1920s Montana skyline. Join Eric myself. <laughs> this is such a mouthful. Join Eric and myself as we talk westerns, banjos, and good old-fashioned misguided masculinity. Um, thanks for tuning in. Sorry about my dogs being noisy. Please enjoy the show. time no see or long time no speak to i guess how you doing uh, viva las vegas scott yes yes i did uh return from las vegas in one piece thankfully um with all my faculties intact um which is quite surprising <laughs> i'm surprised oh okay not a lot of confidence in me that <laughs> no okay <laughs> so Let's do it this way. I'm just going to go straight in with it, Eric. Give me, off the top of your head, your top three westerns. Oh, top three westerns. Um, that's a that's a really good question. Uh, top three. Man, yeah, just go with your just go with your gut. Like, what what your gut tells you, your top three. Um, I'm going to go Wild Bunch, uh, Peckinpah's, okay. Peckinpah's Wild Bunch, um, uh, the remake of 310 to Yuma. Oh, yep. And, um, and, uh, I think a lot of people would say, uh, Tombstone, although I rewatched it recently and I don't think it really holds up that well. Um, mm-hmm. but I, with the exception of Val Kilmer, who just kind of eats the whole movie up, 
Um, man, what's a what's a good third? I mean, I do I do like westerns a lot, but they're just not popping into my head right now. Of course, um, uh, I would say uh, <laughs> no country for old men. It's kind of a western. Well, it is. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it kind of is a western. Yeah. Okay. But that, so we got no so. But that's not my definitive list. I mean, if you gave me like a oh, couple well, days, to- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you'd have to go through and like, so we've got Wild Bunch, we have No Country for Old Men, and we have, um, what was the other one? Uh, 310 to Yuma, the remake with, uh, oh yeah, uh, was it Christian Christian Bale? Bale. Yeah, yeah. And Ben Ben Foster, really good in that. Yeah. Very underrated movie, that movie, I think. I think think that movie is stellar. But I, I could come up with like probably five even better ones. I would just need like a day or so to yeah. kind of figure it out. Uh, what about yeah. what about well, you? Did you have a list? Put you um, on I the don't spot? have a list, but put me on the spot. Okay. Um, oh, bloody hell. Uh, off the top of my head, <laughs> let's go. Um, the Quick and the Dead. Nice. The Sam Raimi gunfighter movie with uh, DiCaprio and Sharon Stone. Um, and I think, is that Gene Hackman in that movie? Who's yep. the bad guy in mm-hmm. that movie? Yep, Gene Hackman. Is it Hackman? Yep. Whew. What a cast. Holy crap. Um, okay, so Quick and the Dead. Um, then I'd probably say uh, Open Range with Kevin Costner. That's a good one. That's underrated, I think. Yeah, it's a, yeah super underrated. Costner, always underrated, in my opinion. Um, and then I would probably say for my third, oof. Um, Does Big Trouble in Little China count? Yeah, I'm gonna, cl- <laughs> I'm gonna put Big Trouble in Little China. We're we're ba- we're breaking all sorts of boundaries here, all sorts of rules. Yeah, because I I believe Big Trouble in Little China it was supposed to be a western, um, and then got filtered through somehow into like 1984 San Francisco. So I think it was supposed to be a western. So I'm gonna say Big Trouble in Little China because it plays like a western. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he definitely. He's definitely channeling that, like um, Clint Eastwood, John Wayne. John kind Wayne. Of yeah, he has that John energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that yeah, that's my top three westerns <laughs> in no particular order. <laughs> but it's it, it's an interesting question though because we both had to like kind of rack our brains there, and we were both like, oh god, oh god, what what, what qualifies as a western? Yeah, you know, like and I think a lot of this is to do with the fact that. Westerns in as a, as a whole, uh, I think, are almost a dead genre. Like almost, you have like your odd pastiche comedy. You know, like um, I think Seth uh, MacFarlane did one not so long back with Shelley's Theron, mm. the guy from this Family Guy. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 like yeah. A, a comedy yeah. one. Uh-huh. And then you had like that one that just came on Netflix recently um, with Idris Elba. Uh, which is kind of like a black exploitation yeah. riff. The harder they on, fall, on, fall. Yeah, the harder they fall. But like as a rule, westerns more or less, I would say, are a dead genre in terms of like box office. In terms of like, um, there's not a lot of modern movie makers like tackle something that's in a western. Um, which is interesting because I don't know if the audience is there for it anymore. Because I think that you have 
a lot of the people who would watch westerns like my dad you're like you know like people at our parents age mm. my dad's dad my grandparents yeah. um obviously all all of our grandparents are gone now at least if you you're you're on our my, mine and your age and then um like our parents but like do our parents actively still watch movies like not as many you know what i mean mm-hmm. so i feel like there's a filtering out um of that you know which is probably i think what's going to happen to like james bond in like 10 years time there'll be like this constant filtering out of like where i think it becomes less and less relevant to people as time goes on um but it is interesting though i do think that's interesting how it's been kind of like abandoned yeah i i i can i can understand i can see what you're saying but also at the same time westerns are kind of quintessential american cinema or an american movie you know so mm-hmm. there is um there always seems like there is room for that genre um and they do pop up and i'm and i am sh- almost positive that there are probably even more westerns made today uh on kind of a a b movie level because you can scan through like streaming now um streaming now sites and you're gonna find you know 10 20 30 western type movies i mean it's like it's a genre and then subgenre. you know you have western horror movies and then uh western um like thrillers like outlaw movies or uh uh, like Western romances or so I, I think that although it doesn't, it's, it does, I don't think it gets like the, um, the bigger audience or the bigger push, like say like a Marvel movie or something like that right now, because they're, they're not in style in a way, but I also kind of have the idea that there's a lot of almost revisionist um westerns western type movies out there because i remember watching logan um when that came out and to me that played Mm -hmm. like a western you know no um it does yeah that's a really good point and then well if you so like yeah go ahead go ahead no go ahead oh no no go ahead Okay, so well, I, just when you were saying that, like, so I googled it real quick. Um, I I did the Wikipedia for the for the genre of Western, um, or like what make what categorizes something as a Western, um, and it goes along the lines of um, a genre of fiction set primarily in the latter half of the nineteenth and early twentieth century in the Western United States, mm-hmm. which is styled in the Old West style, um, commonly centering on the life of a nomadic cowboy or gunfighter so like you know like uh the man with no name or like pale rider you know like all like um the what you think of when you think of a western but what's really interesting is what you said is what i took from what you said was uh westerns is primarily an american subgenre or genre of movies and whilst i do believe that's true but like theoretically i feel like mad max is a western true yeah like the original mad max or like anything i think it's you can you can move that like but then again i suppose though like australia with with how open and barren it is 
does substitute pretty well for how open and barren the West was mm-hmm. during the early parts of the 19th century or whatever. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's There's like there's like revisionist Westerns. So there's a lot of stuff you could see and you like, you know, like I guess Big Trouble in Little China is a revisionist Western. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No country. You know? um, yeah, no country. Uh, anything that the... Um... Uh, there, there was that movie the last year or, or uh, maybe a couple of years ago with the Coen brothers where they did that little vignette of uh, the Buster Scruggs, the Ballad of, of yeah, right, yeah, Ballad mm-hmm. of Buster Scruggs, yeah, and that's all that was all westerns, you know. So, uh, although I don't, there, there was like a period where it seems at least like there was there was Westerns coming out every year and it has, that has died off a bit. Uh, I think that there is probably a there within the next few years or so. My guess is there's probably going to be this resurgence. It seems like it goes, you know, it ebbs and flows. It goes uh, with, with movies at least, you know, people are going to get kind of, bored of of one thing and then another thing is going to take its place and and if a western is done right um i think that it will spark kind of a um, almost a kind of uh renaissance or resurgence of of those types of movies um i don't see them going away anytime soon it might it might be a thing where they kind of fall off a little, but I I don't know. I, it just, it seems like, like with, um, with movies, with movies about like, what, like British society or, or, uh, like the Gene Austin era and like that whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. you, you think, Oh, is there really room for all this again? And it's and it's like they they make Oscar movies out of the out of those movies. It's like so when you when you think kind of a, a genre of a type of movie is gone or dead, they 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 find a way to kind of reinvigorate people's interest in it. And um, I think with westerns, it's such kind of it's an easy genre to kind of almost plug and play in a way. Because there, there's mm-hmm. so many great archetypes within that history that uh, there's a million stories that you could kind of tell uh, within that uh, within the Western genre. Uh, so I, I don't I don't know if it's going to completely go away or die off. Um, in that case. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it, it, like I don't think it'll go away just as much as like any other like you know subgenre of movie really ever goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing because I mean at one point it was definitely super popular, and I think a part of that was to do with probably how cheap it was to film mm. um, westerns. Probably I'm guessing around like the spaghetti western era, yeah, uh, where you could you could like the, I mean. They, sh- they would ship it off, you know, like to Europe, film it in Europe on the cheap. Um, and you would just take like a one semi recognizable star. So at the time, like, you know, somebody who came from television, like Clint Eastwood, who wasn't like a huge household name, but 
it was bankable. Like it was like a recognizable American face. Mm-hmm. Throw him in. Lee Van Cleef or whoever, you know, like as a bad guy. And then like, so I think they were churning them out in a, at a right way. You know, it was, yeah, it was certainly popular. And it's also like, it is quintessentially American in, in, in a sense of like um, the um, romanticization of like exploring the West, uh, heading West, searching for fortune and searching for like, um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that old, old, like romanticized version of America. Um, and I think also for me, a Western usually has obviously not talking about like more revisionist westerns but like structurally you would always have like the white hat the black hat the good guy the bad guy it's usually like um or you would have uh a bad guy versus like one moral morally dubious bad guy versus somebody who is way worse than him yeah it's always like a good versus evil in a way you know what i mean because obviously i think a lot of the the clint eastwood type characters would be like anti-heroes yeah. in a way but uh yeah it's pretty interesting there was a really good did you see um i think it was walter hill walter hill um uh, did is that last man standing with bruce willis yeah um yeah. uh great movie and that's basically revisionist western on uh but it was set in the like prohibition era and it was a, a, a remake of i think it's uh fistful of dollars I think you're right. Yeah. 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 So like, there's always been that like take on it. And then like, obviously, like you said, like the Magnificent Seven, um, which is also like Wild Bunch, which is also like um, even like 13 Assassins, um, the samurai movie. Mm -hmm. Um, So like, there's always that like, that runs a lot lot through a lot of Westerns, like, you know, getting a team together, a team of like bad guys to to take on an even bigger evil. Yeah. you know, there's like a lot of, uh, a lot of like tropes. So yeah, you're right. There's a, like, I, f- I think if you were a filmmaker and you, you were going to go into making a Western, there's a lot of blueprints and templates for Westerns already pretty set in stone for you, which you can take and run with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stories to tell. And, um, and the movie we're going to talk about today falls under none of those stories that we're that we're talking about. Well, yeah. it, it is uh, it is wholly of itself, and that's kind of why I was kind of going with this Western thing because I kind of wanted to double back around. We'll get into um, the power of the dog later on, anyway. But like, just to touch back to that to like kind of swing this wheel back around, head it home. Um, yeah, I was I was interested to see what you thought about that because, like, to me, I see a lot of people talking about this movie as a western, but to me, it's it is not it does not feel like a western at all, mm-hmm. like at all. I mean, other than the setting, which is obviously supposedly, uh, it's like nineteen twenty five in Montana. Obviously, we know if you've read any press for this movie, you know it was filmed in New Zealand um, during twenty twenty oh. the lockdown. I did not know that because the, I mean, those, Oh yeah. It's all filmed in New Zealand. I thought they, um, I thought they would have, um, filmed it in California because some of those, some of those landscape shots just reminded me of California a lot. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, it's like obviously staggeringly beautiful, like the movie. Um, but we'll, we'll get into that when we start touching on the movie, but yeah, but it was all done in New Zealand. Now, hmm. I should probably research this more, but I didn't. But I believe Jane Campion is 
from New Zealand. I think she's either from New Zealand or she's Australian. Um, so I don't know if that has something to do with it, uh, whether why they filmed it there. Um, but it's, yeah, it's like very striking. But yeah, they filmed it. They started filming in January of 2020. Hmm. Um, then I guess like two weeks later, they were like, oh shit, we've got to close down everything. Yeah. And I believe that um, Jesse Plemons, Kirsten Dunst and Benedict Cumberbatch all just stayed during lockdown in New Zealand. They didn't leave. They just stayed there. Um, and then when they eventually could start filming again, they just picked up filming. That's hmm. what I hear anyway. It's interesting. But anyway, yeah, so like to to bring it back around again, I this movie t- to me, despite everybody talking about it as a Western, it does yeah, it does not feel like a Western. It feels like a period drama. Yeah. One hundred percent. Um, but not a, a a Western as I see Westerns. Obviously, I think that's because I need like my brain is still wired into that traditional sense of a Western, you know, good versus bad, or like with some kind of undercurrent of like action. <laughs> yeah or like you know like some kind of like conflict that's not really a interpersonal conflict a conflict as in like a conflict between you know what i mean like cowboys versus native americans or like or like you know what i mean gunfighters or or you know that kind of thing bandits mm-hmm. or whatever um this movie has none of that yeah and i also think it's past that period too i mean uh 20 1925 you're talking um like prohibition man it's that prohibition time and um automobiles yeah automobiles and uh the great depression is around the corner or there i forget the dates on the great depression but i mean it's just like it's right there you know um so yeah it's 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 like 25 years after everything that we kind of see as as kind of uh western tropes or western movies it's 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 like a quarter of a century past that in a way so yeah yeah um i would do i see it as i see it as a western just as much as i guess i guess like legends of the fall was a western i mean oh yeah kind of it's kind of in the same it's kind of in the same era um, mm-hmm. I I believe so. Maybe not. I could be wrong about that. I I want to say, legends happened right after, or during World War One. Um, yeah, because there was trench warfare and that. But I mean, just the the just the aesthetic of it, uh, reminded me, and the storytelling reminded me of like, uh, kind of similar. A similar vibe in a way in a way no yeah totally well you're right actually because um if this movie supposedly is 1925 world war one was like 1914 yeah 19 it says post world war one leading into world war two um which is interesting because you they don't mention the war but you think they would have done because some of those people who are working on the farm probably would have been would have been yeah yeah in world war one possibly yeah possibly yeah potentially yeah uh yeah interesting so i guess in that there's almost that there's definitely like 
we think of westerns in, in a specific time frame you know but it's interesting because like the more I th- we're talking about it and the more i'm thinking about different movies now and i'm thinking about like oh uh ride with the devil the angley movie i was like oh is that yeah a western? yeah that's during the civil war and then i'm like is that a western technically it's probably a western and then um uh what's that movie with uh the i think it's mingala uh with jude law uh cold mountain cold mountain um, that's yeah. a civil war movie too yeah. yeah and like yeah so like in my head i'm starting to tie in all these things that i think might be westerns you know what i mean and like but our, our, when you start to think about it yeah our yeah, civil our civil war movies considered would be considered western movies or is that or are know. civil war movies historical like like yeah i mean i i guess they're not westerns technically and like but me growing up obviously me growing up and not being american like anytime I see somebody riding a horse with a cowboy hat on, I'm like, it's a Western. Yeah. You know what I mean, yeah. Um, so like, but it's, yeah, they're not Westerns technically. Um, it's interesting. It's, it's such a, an encompassing, it's like, a, it's, you know, well, it covers such a big period in American history mm-hmm. that it's like, you can fit it into a, a bunch of different things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like the greatest western ever made, Wild Wild West with uh, Will Smith. Oh, stop! You know it. <laughs> that, that covers steampunk and the revolution of technology. You know, yeah, as um, yeah. spearheaded by Kenneth Branagh. Uh, excellent movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll stop. Uh, um, I'll stop yeah. you right there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it's it's huge. It's huge. I, I forgot to say, Shanghai Noon would probably be one of my favorite westerns. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so um, so that's what I mean by um, by westerns covering it's 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 a genre, but it's also so many subgenres within that genre because that's, I mean, Shanghai what Shanghai, what is it Shanghai noon, Shanghai West, Shanghai noon, and then Shanghai nights. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's it's a martial arts comedy western, you know. Yep. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I, there's there's so many things you could you could do with that that genre that don't necessarily have to be that that quintessential American story, but I think the roots of it kind of fall into um that typical story that we're so used to, you know. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, I mean, that's kind of an interesting way to get into it, and a little a little sidebar there, just to kill some time, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the podcast, because yeah. all this podcast is is killing time. We're not actually here to provide anybody a service. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Who's listening? Not at all. Who's listening? <laughs> no. Yeah. It's honestly, I think I'm our biggest listener. So, <laughs> uh, myself and your wife, I think, I think us two are the biggest listeners. We're our biggest I think, fans. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um, okay. So actually a friend of mine, very good friend of mine, you know how like on Instagram recently, everybody's been doing that rap thing where it's like Spotify, which I don't have, by the way, Spotify will it'll, it'll, like condense what you've listened to in a go. This in 2021, your most listened music was uh, such and such. You listen yeah. to all these artists and it's called like a rap thing. So I guess everybody was sharing this on Instagram almost to a nauseating degree where I was just like, I don't give a shit about what you listen to. So <laughs> sharing it. But yeah. a friend of mine sent me his and it, it actually lists your podcasts. 
And uh, we did make number, I think we made number three on his. Bron- yeah. Bronze and, medal. Yeah, it was like, yeah, we were like, it was like Joe Rogan was number one and somebody else beat us, but we were number three. So it's like, you know, it's not bad. <laughs> we're, we're in good company. Yeah, I mean, like, numbers wise, but I don't know. It was it was pretty fun. I was going to share it on Instagram, and I was like, nobody's going to give a shit about that. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so did you? Let's 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 start talking about Power of the Dog then. And like, fuck it, I'm swearing. It's it, whatever. I don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> spoilers. We're not good. Like, it's too difficult. I I was thinking about when we know we were like, oh, we'll do our reviews and then like spoiler free reviews and we'll do spoilers. Like, I, I don't want to do that. This is our podcast. We can do it any way we like. It's just going to be spoilers. So <laughs> we can do it every point. Well, exactly. Now, now is the point. If you've got to this point in the podcast and you haven't seen Power of the Dog, go watch it. Go watch it. Or don't watch it. But from now on in, I guess for the rest of the episode, things are going to come up that are going to be classified as spoilers. So you've been warned in advance. Um, were you aware of this movie, Eric? Like, was this movie on your um, end of end of year radar? Was it like you know? Because like, I think we both have like a little a little list in our head of movies sure. that we're like anticipating. But um, yeah, I was aware of it. Um, as far as it being anticipated, no, I wasn't. I wasn't necessarily anticipating seeing this movie, but I was aware of it. I remember seeing a trailer. You know how Netflix will do um, coming up in the month of December or whatever the next month sort of things, and and I'll watch like those trailers of of things that are coming up, and this was one of them, and and I didn't know uh, Jane Champion was is it Campion or Champion? I I don't know. Um, I think it's Campion. Campion. Um, I wasn't aware that she was um, directing it. I didn't know that. Uh, but I did see uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Look, it, it, look, it looked really interesting. And I couldn't tell what type of um, Western or type of movie it was going to be. It just had this kind of, it had this very kind of ominous vibe to it. So I watched the one trailer, and that was it. That was it. I I had no idea what I what I was gonna be getting into once I watched it. I had a preconceived notion in my head, mm-hmm. kind of in the way that uh, when I went to see there will be there will be blood, you mm-hmm. have an idea in your head what it's gonna be from the title, and it is not. <laughs> so yeah for sure. once once i started watching this and realized what it what it was going to be i was i was like oh this is this is what i was not expecting this but i was still i was still drawn in like immediately i was drawn in just because of how immaculate and beautiful this movie looked Eric, you've, dis- you've disappeared. Yeah, oh, did you disappear? <laughs> no, I I thought you disappeared. I, I uh, oh, it, yeah, my it, bad. It just went silent. Okay, I'll edit that. I'll fix it. It's it. Uh, I was I was checking my phone. I was like, where's he gone? Where's he gone? 
I was oh, like I at about yeah, shits and giggles. Nah. yeah. <laughs> I was about thirty one minutes in on that one. Yeah, um, no problem. Uh, but yeah, I mean, from I remember the open shots because it was it was all like shot from inside the mansion, and then you just see the, that Benedict Cumberbatch uh, character whose name is Philip. Oh, okay, yeah. So the uh, the brothers, so yeah, George the brothers. and Phil, yeah. And he's walking. He's walking across the yard or across the ranch, and there's there are these great shots, picturesque frame shots of him walking. It's shot inside the house, and you're looking out through the windows, a series of windows, and he's walking across the ranch. And it, and I was like, that it. I mean, it's so startling how um, amazing this movie looks. From from like the, the landscape uh, shots to uh, just how grand everything is, how empty and alone, and, and that the kind of area the areas are because there's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of location shots, you know. There's a few like little spots where they go. I guess. They're at home and then they go into town, sort of deal. So, yeah. Uh, but mm-hmm. even town, it's just like a building, you know? But it. Yeah. Do you think. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. Go uh, ahead. So, well, do you think. Do you think that they. So, you know how like desolate everything is and, and where they're. Where they're. The, 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 the bulk of the movie takes place on the ranch. Yeah. Um, that the brothers own. And in, then in, they have that like really large house that sits right in the middle of the ranch. And the ranch is almost like on a plateau. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it's, so it's almost like a basin surrounded by mountains and it looks like it's elevated. So basically it feels like a stage, like a natural stage, like a stage within a stage. Mm. Um, because it's so like, it's so like, um, otherworldly because it's just, it feels so elevated and apart from the rest of the world. Um, so it's sitting on there and like in my head, I'm like, they obviously just built that entire house. Yeah. That's like a, a functioning house that they probably shot inside of too. I'm guessing. I, I don't, don't know. I don't yeah, know if they did know. that on a soundstage yeah. inside, but uh, it looks as if they've just like constructed a whole house in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I would, I really wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it could just be like a, a, a historical house that they, um got for the production i i'm not sure like i i haven't looked into it that deep but i i wouldn't be surprised Mm -hmm. if it was if it was that if it was built for the movie itself or if the insides the interiors were soundstage but it if they were on a soundstage it was like it was hard to tell because of how kind of open the whole um the inside was with you could you could see outside the entire time so uh, yeah it it felt like it felt like a real actual functioning building yeah yeah um well you know uh what's interesting too is you were talking about how beautiful the movie is so the cinematographer on this movie is the same cinematographer who shot zola no way not so long back no way yeah isn't that interesting? Because I remember Zola, I mean, at least I remember griping about how ugly I thought that movie was. Um, but yeah, it's the same cinematographer. Wow. 
I mean that the, yeah. that that's like that. Those are two stark kind of styles right there. That they well for sure yeah like I, I I'm sure like the, the Zola was made specifically in that style. Yeah, you know, it's just yeah. a style that I don't care for. Mm-hmm. But obviously, it was like it was crafted that like that because obviously, who, who, like the person that shot the movie is like supremely talented. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, what kind had you looked into this movie at all? Did you know anything about it going in? And and once no. um and once you started watching it and got into it, um. How were your reactions? Like, did you like the way this that the that the narrative was going along, or were you off put by it because because of an expectation that you might have had going into it? Yeah, well, it, I mean, like, I I I'm kind of along the lines of you. I remember seeing this movie when it started to screen. I had no idea this movie was a Netflix original, and I don't know if that was like it's always been a Netflix or Netflix purchased it after it screened at like TIFF or like any of the festivals. Cause I remember, mm-hmm. I remember buzz on this movie when it started to screen, which I think was a few months back now, like two months ago or something um, like around October, I think um, it started to screen. So I remember seeing people talking about the movie and I saw the poster and um, obviously the name, the power of the dog. It's so it's based on a book, a, a book that was written in the sixties Um now I have no idea of the book. I can't speak for the book at all. Mm-hmm. So um, obviously I wasn't familiar with it, um, but the name of the movie stuck out to me. So the name was very like, so just from the name alone. And then whilst I haven't seen a lot of Jane Campion's work, I'm I'm aware of who she is. So straight away with, with her directing it, the name of the movie being kind of obscure and kind of strange specifically for like what you'd suppose it or what is a Western. Um, I knew, I knew that it was going to be something along the lines of like a mix cut off or like something along the lines of like a Western, but not a Western as you know it. Yeah. And, and I definitely knew it was going to be art house. Like I knew it was going to be an art house movie. So there was no like, when I started watching the movie and it started to play the way it played out, I wasn't like, Oh my God, well I'm shocked. I thought this is going to be, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I knew what I was getting. Um, but I, I didn't watch a trailer. No. Um, and you and I haven't really even talked about this movie. We talk about stuff that's coming out all the time mm-hmm. and like, I can't really even remember you and I talking about it and being like, Oh, we should check this out. Um, I, when, when we decided to do this for the episode, um, I just came across a link. Somebody was saying like, and I, I knew the movie was meant to be good, but I, I wasn't like, like I said, I wasn't like hyped for it, but when I, I saw an article that was written and it was like, um, the, the best movie of the year is on Netflix right now. So I sent that link to you and then we're like, oh yeah, let's do that. Yeah. We'll do, we'll do um, the power of the dog, but that's about it. Like I didn't, yeah, I, I, I definitely didn't take any hype into this movie or expectations. Um, I think I was, because uh, I watched the one trailer, I think, the reason that I wanted to watch it was because of uh, the Benedict Cumberbatch kind of portrayal just in the trailer alone, because it just looks so heavy and, and mm-hmm. um, it looked like it would be a very, it, it came across as a very kind of an intense role. And it seemed like he, he really kind of honed in on, on that, that heaviness 
just in the trailer alone. So that kind of attracted me to to what everything else was going to be. I mean, as far as the trailer, the trailer doesn't give you a lot of information, but it does it it gave you a lot of really kind of tone like a, a heavy tone that that's going to take yeah. place with within the movie itself. Um there it seemed like there was going to be something really dark that was going to happen. And I just couldn't tell if it was going to be like ultra violent or if it was just going to be heavy content. So I was intrigued in that sense. Um, And did I get what I wanted from it? I would say I did because there wasn't, there was, there wasn't a moment where I, w- I was like taken out of it. Like, um, you know, why did they do this? Why did they do that? And I do have um, some cons about it, but I mean, they're, they're very small. Um, mm-hmm. But I was taken by the sh- the, how they shot the movie, how desolate and alone um, everything kind of looked and appeared and felt. The music for it, held a, a, a tension throughout the entire movie. I mean, there wasn't, yeah. there wasn't like a moment of ease um, throughout the entire movie because the, the, just the, the ratcheting up and the tension that happened with the music alone and how kind of those, those character interactions um, played out mixed with that really kind of it it held me kind of gripped in what in mm-hmm. what was going on at the time um now i think if if benedict cumberbatch didn't kind of hit it out of the park with this it wouldn't have been as good a movie and also the um peter who's uh as like a Cody a, Smith McFate. Yeah, yeah. If they yeah. didn't get the right actor for that role, I don't think mm-hmm. it would have played as well either. So I think the movie is held on the shoulders of those two actors and those two characters yep. and everybody else within it uh, could just could have been not necessarily replaced, but but they're the heavy lifting was more so on those two characters. So if, if it didn't, if they didn't pay off for you or if they don't pay off for you when you're watching it, then I don't know if you would enjoy it as much because the chemistry that happens is, um, is it's, it's like, it's staggering the way that everything kind of goes down. Um, yeah. And I'm still trying I I mean I I was still thinking about it today. I watched it on uh I watched it yesterday. I was thinking about it all yesterday and I was thinking about it today uh, at work and then even up until the point where we started recording I was I still had kind of a lot of questions in a way about it. Um 
like I'm trying to figure out if the if the character of Peter is is a good character or not. Um, uh, okay, yeah. So yo, you, I I've seen a lot of people talking about this, like specifically um, the ending of the movie, mm-hmm. the way the movie ends, and then there being like um, it somewhat of a debate online or amongst people over like his intentions mm-hmm. and then where that so i've seen the movie twice oh and wow the movie definitely plays it plays different uh second time obviously as you would imagine um it, it plays drastically different second time than it does first time which is weird because it's not one of those like it's not like an m night Shyamalan like twist ending where like you rewatch the movie and you're like okay now i'm gonna look for all the clues for the twist you know yeah. what i mean it's not really one of those movies, but it plays like one of those movies when you rewatch it. Yeah. Based on what happens at the end of the movie. They do spell everything out for you. I mean, they tell you everything yeah, that's kind of yeah. going to happen, which, which I was a little bit of my, of my cons, you know, cause they, they bring certain things up and you're like, well, why are they talking about that? Sort sort of deal. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, that's, that's a small gripe right there, but, um, everything that, that uh, that Peter did, I think, was pre. I think all his actions are are premeditated. I agree. I one hundred percent agree. Um, like when you rewatch the movie, so the movie opens and it opens with a line of dialogue, and um, I'm paraphrasing, so I'm probably gonna get this wrong, but it was like um, the literally the movie starts with Peter talking on a voiceover, and Peter says. Ever since my father died, um, all I've wanted to do was to um, make my mother happy, to keep my mother happy. Um, and what kind of man would I be if I didn't do that? Mm-hmm. And that's li- that's and that lit is literally the whole movie, just spelled out to you right there. Yeah. Um, so any ambiguity based based on Peter's actions at the end completely eradicated especially when you watch it second time and it she actually tells you at the beginning of the movie like there's no ambiguity towards peter peter is 100 set in stone and everything that he does is done solely and purposefully um which i guess ultimately includes murdering uh phil benedict cumberbatch character yeah um in in so like as i was watching the movie um I, I kind of had an idea where the movie was heading. I knew the movie was heading to some kind of a climax, which would be some kind of confrontation. Um, and um, just like you, Eric, I, I believe that the music for the movie is particularly effective. The score for the movie, it, it ratcheted in tension. Mm-hmm. And, and it's Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead, who also did There Will Be Blood and did like a million other movies, it seems, recently. Wow. Um, obviously phantom thread and what have you and like uh but yeah so it's johnny greenwood and like what's interesting is i think that's also why there's a lot of online a lot of uh, people online like mention this movie with there will be blood which i feel like they're very different movies mm-hmm. um but i think that one of the comments it's because i think a lot of it's to do with the the, the scoring of the movie mm-hmm. and um i I was going to talk to you about this anyway. I have a list of shit I want to talk about with this movie, but like <laughs> the the music was one of them. And I wanted to talk about this with you because now Johnny Greenwood obviously came into scoring movies as a musician, not as a composer or like, so he, 
you never cut cut his teeth scoring movies. So the way he handles his scores for movies is, I suppose, kind of in a way how like Trent Reznor does with Atticus uh, Finch in you know like when he does the Fincher movies. Oh, Atticus um, Ross. Like, yeah, Atticus Ross. Yeah, so like he, he's coming at it as a musician. So he, the scores kind of have a different flavor than they do, um, like regular. Uh, movies. Tom York recently scored the Suspiria remake, and that that movie is is very similar in that way, like the way he handles the score. Now, my issue with the the score for the movie was it is ratchet intention the whole time, but I was really on the fence about it because I can't decide whether he's scoring this movie like it's a horror movie. Mm, yeah, and I don't know whether that's on purpose, but but when a lot of these guys do this, that's how it reads to me. Like this, this, like there will be blood was scored like a horror movie too. And like, I don't know whether it, I think it, it's, yes, it's, it's effective at building tension throughout the movie. I just don't know if it's like, I don't know how to feel about that because I don't know if it's like, it, it's, it's altering how I see the movie. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether, whether it's coloring the movie too much or if, does that make sense? No, no, totally. No, I, I get you. Because if if they change the tone of the music as certain scenes are kind of going on, yeah, I mean, I think you're I think your your viewing would be affected in that way because it's not like they put the music in the background. It, it, to me, when I was watching it, it seemed like when stuff was going on, the music was being pushed to the foreground. Um, oh, yeah. The music's suffocating. Yeah, uh, when it comes in, yeah, it just eats up all like it just takes up all the oxygen out mm-hmm. of everything, um, and I I just don't know whether that's like a conscious decision made by Jane Campion and him, and they they sat together and she goes that this is kind of the vibe I want, or if it's just the vibe of the way he 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 scores these things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like I don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg. Yeah, with that and yeah. So. Whilst I do think it's it's particularly effective, it does, it, it, it yeah, it's it's such a it's such a it's such a device like a plot device like a like a mechanical device in the movie that it's like I don't know it's weird, um, I can't decide if I like it or don't like it. I, yeah. I think I could either love it or just like be annoyed by it. It's really interesting. I'm really on the fence with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and another thing I wanted to talk about is like you you mentioned yourself like like what do you think of Benedict Cumberbatch because so part of the reason I think why my hype wasn't so high for this movie is is I like Benedict Cumberbatch a lot I think he's 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 like he's great as like Doctor Strange or whatever he does his like you know his like popcorn stuff yeah um, obviously he was great as his portrayal of Sherlock Holmes in the BBC series which is obviously why his breakout and why he became really famous and I've seen him in a handful of other movies I've seen him in um Imitation game. Taylor's. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yep. Um, which is actually a good movie. Yeah. Um, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy is in. And now, this is just me. I, I don't know how you feel, so I want to find out how you feel. Part of, I think, my lack of hype for this is because when I think of Benedict Cumberbatch outside of Doctor Strange, I think of him as a very specific type of. Um, I don't know the right word for this, but like, he's very like a British. Kind of like a um, um, 
like a posh, oddball, weirdo British guy. So when I think of him doing movies, he, he tends to do a lot of movies where he plays that kind of a character. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so to see him in a movie like this, where he's playing like a very dark, very like pitch black character, mm-hmm. I going into it, that was one of my hesitations because I was like, I don't want to see another Benedict Cumberbatch movie. But it couldn't be further from anything I've seen him do before. And actually, what's kind of refreshing about this is that, like, I just didn't see... I didn't see he had this in him as an actor. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's interesting that you say that. For me, he he melted away. Like, exactly, yeah. This kind of... This notion of, of what you... Of, like, Doctor Strange or those or those other types of movies... To me, he completely melted away. Hit him as a person melted away, and all I saw was this character of uh, of Philip. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I think he he morphed into into this uh, character from from his dialogue, from his rage, from from his his closeted. Uh, homosexuality, uh, like every every action, every emotion, every every kind of I don't know, like like almost like a human instinct or whatever it, whatever it is. He just encompassed this character, and I never saw that character. I never saw him as a person on the screen. I just saw what he was portraying. Is he just he? became this 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 character and just kind of went all the way with it and and it was it was like it was incredible to watch it was kind of enthralling to watch and and how the interaction or the the play with between uh, Peter and Philip kind of uh, went and then even with the interaction between him and um, the mother, Rose. Yeah, Rose, and and uh, how how she was kind of terrified of him the, the entire time. How how he kind of psychologically played games with her the entire time, um, even with the. The brother and how he's kind of psychologically um, terrorized him in a way. All was just it was just fascinating to watch. Um, yeah. Now, now the twist. I think, I think, uh, um, I think a lot of people who watch the movie are going to think, "Well, the the twist is what." Um, what Peter does to Philip, how, how, how Peter kills Philip. I think a lot of people are going to think that's the twist, but to me, the twist is who Philip really is and why he decided to kind of personify the person that he is personifying in the film. Um, yeah, that being, He's from from everything that you kind of get on him, um, 
he was this intellectual genius who studied what was it classics at Yale at Yale yeah and um had all this potential and and promise and gave it all up to live his life on this ranch because he idolized this uh older uh cowboy but really i think i think the thing was was he was groomed by that cowboy and it affected him okay in, in such a way that it that he probably he probably always had those um inclinations to begin with because he because he said you know i i met what what was the what was the character it was bh it was uh uh buck um bronco henry something like that. bronco sorry yeah bronco henry yeah um because he talks about him the entire time because he's obviously obsessed with him and it was probably the love of his life whatever um but he even said i'm i met him when i was your age which you were assuming that uh peter's character is about eh, 16 17 maybe um yeah and so to me, it seemed like he was groomed the entire time, and then it, it was always about going up in the in the mountains, and and um, that's where he was able to be free. One one of the things that kind of confused me in in the beginning was he was always trying to get uh, Benedict kind of uh, character was always trying to get his brother to go up there. So I'm wondering, were they did they both have that experience up there? Were they both kind of groomed um, up in those mountains, or did his brother know what was going on the entire time, and he kind of he shirked away from it, or he was he kind of kept quiet about the whole thing? There were so many kind of interesting questions that that I had about this movie. I do want to watch it again to see if I can kind of pick up on anything. Yeah, for sure, because I feel like that's a huge point. I'm really pleased you brought that up because I don't really... So I I think there's a the, the, the main discussion I see regarding this movie is, on a surface level, is the the theme of toxic max, masculinity, mm-hmm. um, which I think is... I think is actually misguided, and I think that's wrong. Like, I don't see the movie about toxic masculinity at all. I don't really even see the movie about masculinity. I think... I think the movie is like, I think it's red herring. It's giving it's so basically there's a ton of like phallic imagery in the movie. The mm-hmm. scenes of castration where they castrate the bulls. Um, so that there's there's a lot of this like, and obviously Phil himself is this like he's portraying himself as this larger than life. Um, you know, like w- when there's the dinner party and um, George is like George's and Rose are there and it's like oh my brother Phil's gonna come by but like he's he's like well i'm not going to take a shot i'm going to stink and then he comes in late and he's like don't touch me i just got off the horse and he's like eating an apple you know and he's like he's really pushing this kind of like macho bullshit that he's pushing um i think it's easy to think that the movie is about men playing roles like that but Mm. i don't really think that's what the movie is about and i think what's interesting is is i don't think a lot of people are talking about the fact that yeah his obsession with bronco henry I don't think it's 100% explained, uh, especially I haven't seen it twice. But yeah, 
the way I read it was that he was being groomed and I see him as a victim of abuse. That's kind of how I read him. Mm-hmm. And I, I do read that. Like, I think though, that there's a potential that the Bronco Henry thing is not a grooming situation, but that's how it reads to me. It reads to me that he was like, he was abused by his father's farmhand essentially when he was growing up. And then that like kind of, kind of fucked his perception of who he is Mm. And then also, I, however, that also, that also is a weird line because then it's like kind of saying that like, because he was abused, therefore now he's homosexual. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. there's a reason why he's homosexual. It's because he was abused as opposed to the fact that he, he, it could have been an actual homosexual relationship. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Because he was the same age as Peter. So he was around like what, how old's Peter in the movie? Like 21, 22. So he was like around the age. So along the lines of the age of like, he's a, he's a grown boy. So yeah. Is he, was he groomed? I don't know. Um, it could just be the fact that like, you know, he had an experience in it and it brought out like the, the situation, he talks about a situation where they go out and they get trapped in the snow, I guess, or like somewhere and it gets really cold and Bronco saves his life by basically getting in a sleeping bag with him and sharing body heat in order to keep him warm. Mm -hmm. And now, as far as I can tell, that's the only time they ever talk about like any kind of thing that could be even regarded as sexual between him and Bronco. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of hinted at it. There's every chance that that happened in, in he by his, his nature growing up, he was just, he's just homosexual. He's just, you know, just a gay guy. Yeah. And like that, like he held onto that, but actually Bronco could have just been doing what he needed to do. Save his kid's life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Bronco could have just been like a, a normal, like not normal. I don't mean that, but like just a, a straight dude. Yeah. He was like, I've got to save this kid. And then he's like romanticized this from then. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's yeah. really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it it's could, so vague. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it could be interpreted anyway because there is because it it's I guess it's an unreliable narrator where in, in the instance of uh, Cumberbatch's character because he he goes off to that kind of hidden uh, area, that hidden pond and pool, and he has that that piece of. Uh, that handkerchief that has the initials uh, BH mm -hmm. on it. And he's kind of in mm -hmm. love with it and kind of making out with it in a way. And he always kind of, he keeps it on him. He keeps it in his pants, uh, the whole time. So it could, that could have just been his, he was obsessed with that, that particular, uh, man, uh, in that time period yeah, and, for sure. and just, and, and almost can't get out of that. So he has to personify, he, uh, he has to personify that character. So to me, I, it, I read it as the character that we see that everybody else sees is the character of uh, Bronco Henry. Um, and that's that character. Um, he's kind of this alpha male type individual who everybody follows because as it's filmed, everybody does follow him. He's always at the head of the pack. They're always kind mm -hmm. of triangled behind him. They always wait for him to sit down to kind of start eating. It's like everything is on his cue. They take they take cue from 
from from him they take instruction from him he's always like where's you know where is philip what's philip doing philip hasn't come down yet uh what what's philip going to do about this sort of thing so everybody kind of defers to him defers to that character um so he has portrayed that kind of that alpha character but in secret he is i don't want i don't know if he's the opposite but he is probably his true self when no one else is around when he when he's in his kind of hidden area he is who he has always been and everything else mm-hmm. is, is, is a, is a fake. Now does, um, does Peter know this right away? Does he sense this right away? Is my question. Yeah. That's interesting. Like, so I think the way Peter views him is very interesting because there's a line earlier on in the movie, which is pretty interesting. So about the time that um, Phil starts to befriend Peter and um, basically starts to take an interest in him, other than being a downright asshole to him. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Peter comes back home, which I'm guessing is on like a like a school break. So he's obviously in between terms at school or whatever. So he comes back to, to the ranch. He stays on the ranch with his mother. And um, at first, obviously... Like it's super awkward, but eventually um, Phil starts taking an interest in him, starts getting to know him. And immediately the movie's telling you just by its cues and like in the way we read it, I'm guessing is like, oh, this isn't good. There's like, it's nefarious. There's some nefarious means to him. Like, is he just, is is this going to be like some payoff where he's going to befriend him and like Mm -hmm. fuck him over somehow? You know what I mean? But I Um, never got that. I never got that. I was thinking to myself, why 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 did he initially kind of extend the kind of olive branch of peace initially he he was like we kind of got off on the wrong foot why why don't you let me help you sort of deal i never understood why is he doing that and well i yeah i well i think eric i think what it is is i i think like the movie at least reads to me so like basically when he does befriend him um they have this conversation and he's talking about um um he's talking about what bronco henry would say to him like this is how this is what a man does this is how a man fixes things and then peter says well my dad because we find out obviously that peter's dad actually committed suicide yeah Uh, and um peter says well my dad always said being a man is about overcoming obstacles and then um and like how you navigate obstacles and i think that kind of just basically sums up what what the way he sees um phil is and he says my dad was always worried about me because he felt like i didn't feel i didn't i didn't care about things enough or i felt like detached mm-hmm. and um and then phil is reading this all wrong and phil turns around and he goes um oh well yeah your mother's an obstacle that you've got to overcome because she's she's she has a weakness she's an alcoholic you know what i mean yeah like, that's an obstacle but really what he's talking about is he's really talking about phil and he's really talking about like Phil's an obstacle to Peter and he's an obstacle in a sense of like, not only did Phil slight Peter early on when he started mocking him, when the first, the time he first met him where, where Peter's a waiter and he's made, he made the little, little paper, um, paper, not airplanes, paper <laughs> flowers. Flowers. Yeah. Um, and he's like openly mocking him and they're like, Oh, what kind of fairy made these or whatever, you know, some bullshit like that. Um, so 
he's wronged him there. Secondly, when um, Rose and George get married, um, Rose basically, through Phil's kind of like um, bullying almost, is, is started to decline rapidly. She starts to drink. She starts to like basically come undone. She's super unhappy, like super, super unhappy. And I think, yeah, and, and I think Peter just sees Phil as an obstacle. Like, I've got mm. I've got to get past this obstacle somehow for my mother to be happy. Like I, I, like, I think he sees him as a challenge. I don't think he intrigues him. So, like, the whole time, it's almost like a cat and mouse game where I think yeah. the, the, the actual cat is Peter. It's not Phil. Phil, for all his bravado and his, like, chest beating and his, like, over-ridiculous masculinity he's not a threat at all the threat all along is peter because peter is so cold and calculating and calm yeah and like he knows exactly what he's doing the whole fucking time <laughs> and i think he's just like yeah. he's like studying him he's like studying him like he would study one of those rabbits where he took you know he's basically like that inquisitive mind that he has in that kind of like clinical look at things i think he sees phil and he's like i want to figure this guy out and like you know what i mean like i'm I'm going to ultimately just eradicate him. I'm going to remove this obstacle. Mm -hmm. At least yeah. that's how I read it. Yeah. And um, when, no, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and when kind of the final, the final thing that kind of happens um, is he poisons him. It's so, it's so kind of ingenious in a way because as it's happening, he's just kind of, he's playing with him in a way that nobody has kind of played with him before. And he's, he, he's almost in a way he's, he's goading him to admit what he is. Um, before what happens happens so it's like he's he's taking him down a peg the entire time and then ultimately he dies and by the end as you as you see as you see them kind of come back from the uh from the funeral and and uh the the brother and and the mom kind of hug and kiss and and uh, Peter knows that everything is in its right place. Now you get this smile like, okay, I've, yeah. I've, I've accomplished what I've needed to accomplish. I've got, I've made my mother happy. I, I know she's in a good place so I can go on to do other things I need to do now. So man, what well, I think, I think right now, this might be my favorite movie of the year. I'm excited to hear that because yeah. I was really worried. Well, I wasn't worried. I was just, I was really interested to see what you thought about this movie. Um, because like I, I, the whole time I was watching this, I was like, Eric's either going to <laughs> put this in his number one spot or he's not going to be that impressed. I yeah. couldn't tell. I couldn't tell, but like I had a, su a suspicion that you were going to really love it. I mean, I, I love it. I've obviously seen it twice. I just, um, I love the way that everything kind of plays with these ideas I love the kind of um, the music. Obviously, it doesn't bother me. I mean, I mean, it it, it kind of built something for me. Um, mm -hmm. I love how you're supposed to think one thing. 
you're supposed to think that the Cumberbatch character is like this ominous threat to this entire kind of community that that they've kind of built and like he's the one that you know everybody kind of looks to and 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 kind of tries to emulate in a way and that's what he tries to do with uh with peter but because because he's so intelligent because you're you're obviously you're 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 shown that he is this extremely intelligent individual who who can accomplish many things and and basically morph in a way to a certain thing and how peter comes in and demolishes everything that that uh this facade that he has kind of shown for himself takes it apart in no time at all and and in actuality the most dangerous person is the most uh, looked upon as weakest person in this movie i mean amazing yeah totally. truly amazing movie. yeah because so yeah because so the way I, I, I read the movie, and I, I've been thinking about this movie like constantly, like <laughs> way more than I, I've thought about any movie this year, actually, which is weird. Like I've been really, really stewing on the movie. And um, I definitely think, I, 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 the, I think what the movie bars down to is, so there's a line uh, in the movie where uh, Phil is, is star- staring at the mountains. He's looking out at the mountains and all of his like lackeys, like all the little farmhands or whatever, they keep coming up to him. They're like, oh, so what do you see up there? What do you see in the hills? And he goes, did Bronco teach you how to f- see up in the hills? And he goes, what are you looking at? And it's, very, it's so vague when you're watching it. And you're like, mm-hmm. what, what's he talking about? And then um, Phil turns around and he goes, well, um, I could see something. And he goes, you can't see it. And the guy's like, no, I can't see it. And he goes, so that one of them goes, well, is there something there? And he goes, well, if you can't see it, then there's nothing there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that line specifically kind of sums up the movie because as we discover when he later on, when he, he does a similar situation, he looks out, he's like, Hey, Bronco showed me how to look I Bronco taught me how to see things that other people don't see. So when he goes outside, Peter's there and he goes like, what do you see when you look at that? And Peter goes, well, I see a, bo- uh, a barking dog. And he's like blown away by it. He's like, yeah. oh, you see that? You he's see like, that? and he's like, see, yeah, you I saw see that right away. Yeah. 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 And, and uh, I felt really bad for him when that happened because a, that's the first time we, we see like a genuine weakness in him because mm-hmm. like he's like he's so fucking full of himself that like um he can't understand that somebody else can decipher what he's deciphering because it's not even that big of a thing. It's not even that big of a grand notion, as grand as he thinks it is. Yeah. And I think what that really sums up where he goes, if you can't see it, there's nothing there. I think that really sums up the way everybody views all of the characters in this movie and the way he views other people. So like he, he can't see, he really can't see who Peter is because he's so caught up in himself. He can't see, and he's just assuming, he assumes that Peter's weak. He assumes, and, and really what it boils down to is it's not that he's weak. There's two, there's, there's four people, central characters in this movie. Two of them know exactly who they are. And those two people are completely fine. There's another two people who are lost within themselves, who don't know who they are, who aren't mm-hmm. in control of who they are. And that's Phil and Rose. Phil, he is not in control of who he is. He, d- he does not know who he is. Fundamentally, he's he's trying, he's, he's like acting out this 
alter ego because he's lost, because he doesn't really understand who he actually is. Whether that means he's he's confronting or he's struggling with his own sexuality, um, he's struggling with how he thinks he's supposed to be as a man, but generally he's completely lost. He's actually in a really weakened state. Rose, similarly, is trying to adapt to this new life and she is breaking down gradually and she doesn't know who she is. She's not comfortable in her skin. She's a mm -hmm. widow. She's She's gone through this large grief and she's like, she can't really adapt to this new role that she has um, as somebody else's wife. And she's like, she's lost. She's out in the fucking wilderness, just like he is. George, um, Phil's brother, is portrayed as quite a simple man, but really he's just, he's just a happy guy. He's just like, he knows who he is. He, he's like, I really like Rose. I want to protect Rose. I want to do this for her. Like yeah. Phil's an asshole. Like he's, he's very like in himself and there's, very in tune There's no, yeah. There's no cruelty to him at all. Not at all. Yeah, yeah. He's a very, he's a very like settled, confident person. Peter is too. In the movie, the whole, the whole time the movie is kind of like spinning that he isn't, but really it's Phil that's trying to spin that he isn't because Peter Whilst he does come across as awkward and gangly, he knows what he loves. He loves making paper, paper uh, flowers. He loves uh, anatomy. He loves being a student. He loves being a geek. Like he's one hundred percent comfortable with who he is. When he goes mm. out on the farm there, and he first hanging around the farm hands, and he's playing with the dog and stuff, and like everybody's laughing at him, he's just he's he's comfortable in his own skin. He knows mm -hmm. who he is, and. And I think like that I think kind of ultimately that's what the movie's about. It's about like you have to figure out who you are and you have to be comfortable with yourself because you're you everybody is gonna look everybody tries to imagine what people are. Like we all try to assume that like you you think you know people, but really you never really know anybody. You know what I mean? Mm. I think that mm -hmm. the, I don't know if that's like there's supposed to be a moral edge to this story or not. But it definitely reads that like it's 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 a movie about what we assume in other people and what people actually are, and it's two different things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which is fascinating, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, really, I mean, it, it's not it's not something that you would expect from this movie. S something that kind of that that kind of that play that they that they do you know it's not something that i i think it's people are going to go into it wanting this one thing and they're going to get something completely different and they're either going to love it or hate it and yeah um and you can see that i checked i looked i think i looked on rotten tomato and the disparity in the in the in the uh the rating is, is so is is large so i i think that is the case i think a, a lot of people just wanted one thing got another sort of thing um but for the people who did kind of the the hard work on it got something really special i i think now i will say only my only real big con uh in the movie is that they have to tell you what happened you know okay and, mm -hmm. and i think you could have just kind of when when it was happening when when he was poisoning him i figured it out right away i mean you, you kind of 
you figure it out if if you're paying attention you figure it out immediately what what is going on um but but when they after the the funeral and the doctor comes to talk to uh, george and and he was like well i think it was anthrax or you know i i think it was anthrax poison and then george like well no he was like super cautious about being around anthrax so it's like it's like you you can stop saying it guys i mean we understand i, I we get it i i figured it out a while ago sort of deal so i was like ah, i wish i i really wish they hadn't had done that hadn't um had to kind of play softball in a way uh yeah with the story and that's really my only um kind of complaint or gripe with it but it's so like minimal and minuscule and it's at the very end anyway so it doesn't like it doesn't affect anything in the overall viewing um but other than that man this thing is is close to perfect i think yeah i think i think it's a i think it's a really special film i think it's um Mm -hmm. i think um there's a confidence to this film like it's it's like smacks of a film that's made by somebody who's very very confident that they're telling exactly what they want to say like they're telling the story exactly the way they want it like even down to like the way the movie looks um, oh man it just yeah it just feels like everything is very purposeful everything is very controlled like controlled is i guess the way i want to i describe the movie it's it's very controlled like this um and, and what's interesting is like first time you watch it, I know a lot of people would say like, I guess there's a, a classification for this kind of movie is like a slow Western or like mm. that the movie moves very slowly. But actually when you watch it again, especially when you watch it the second time, the movie does not move slowly. The movie actually moves at a pretty distant clip um, because yeah. it's not yeah. really clear how long, how much time has passed, but I'm guessing from where they first meet Rose and uh, George first meet all the way through to he's already had one semester at college. So I, w- I was going to say space of like two years or so. Oh, okay. I was going to say at least a year, you know, because at least a year. You do, yeah, yeah. You do see like snow on the ground and like weather mm-hmm. changes and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I assumed about a year, a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So like the movie covers quite a period of time. I think you just don't think it does initially because it doesn't really like telegraph those changes that well. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't think it needs to, but like, especially, yes, the second time you watch it, you're like, yeah, this movie is not slow at all. This movie is actually moving at a clip, you know? Um, I think like performances are like top notch across the board. I think Kirsten Dunst is really good in this movie. Um, Yeah. She has a couple of good scenes uh, where she starts to like really break down. I think a, handled really well and like she she has like a lot of like like poise i guess in in the way she delivers her performance um if i had it if i had a con honestly if i had a con i can't tell if it is a con because in that's how good the movie is is i i can't tell if cumberbatch's performance is over the top or not i can't tell like i can't tell if he needed to play him as downright dastardly as he is Mm. or he didn't like i'm on i'm really on the fence with that one that's that's the only concern i have about the movie and it's not a like i said it's not really an issue 
It's just some something like I feel. Like I just don't know whether like he could have been as much of an asshole without being as much of an asshole. I don't I, know. But it's I, tricky. I think the interesting thing is is it's it is Phillips it's Phillips construct, right? It's Phillips mm-hmm. interpretation of what a real man is. Yeah, so it's like a performance piece. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it's not that it's not that Cumberbatch is putting on that performance. It's that Philip is portraying that that that's so that character. Yeah, yeah. That shows how good of a performance it really is. You know, because he's playing somebody. He's playing a character that is playing a character, which is kind of fascinating. So it's like a layer within a layer. Um, Yeah. Because, yeah, I suppose, yeah, that's totally true. So I guess it's not really a complaint of mine then, you know? <laughs> um, it's interesting because somebody told me this thing a long time ago. Um, and they were like, um, I'll not say who it is, but um, they were saying that, like, when people are, like, mean and cruel to people, it's usually because they are actually reflecting how they feel about themselves outwards. So like Mm. when you treat somebody like shit, you really just, you're just reflecting how you're treating yourself. You know what I mean? Mm. And you're like echoing that out to the world. And that really rang true to me with this movie because he's so fucking unhappy. He's so desperately, desperately unhappy Mm -hmm. that like, it just emanates from him in the way he treats Rose, where Rose is trying to learn the piano thing and he's like mocking her by playing the thing back to her. Like he's like Steve Vai on the banjo and he's like, you know what I mean? And, um, yeah, yeah. It's such a like, yeah, he's just like, he fucking hates himself. So like, he's yeah. just, he's, he's trying to make other people feel as shitty about themselves as he, as he feels about himself, which is like, you don't really see a lot of characters in movies who are like that. You know what I mean? You don't yeah. really get to, you, you don't really get to pull apart a bad guy in a movie. A bad guy is just a bad guy, but you don't yeah. really get to, you know, empathize with him in a way, I guess, you know? And I, I think the, the interesting thing is, is when, when the kind of the, the evilness of that character comes out, it's always at his perception of what the weakest characters are. Because he he yells at those people in the dining room because he knows mm-hmm. that they are they are probably afraid of him. He uh, browbeats his brother the entire time by calling him fat, so and like all these kind of mm-hmm. derogatory things. Um, he obviously uh, uh, terrorizes Rose. And then he tries to basically uh, tell Peter that stop being this effeminate type character. You're you're surrounded by men now. This is how you have to act sort of deal. But with the other cowboys, with the other cowboys that he kind of on the ranch, he doesn't do that to them. He may be kind of in charge or in control or be like the top guy. But th- there was never a scene where he's like putting down one of those guys because mm-hmm. those are the guys that he idolizes, that he is uh, 
enamored or, or infatuated with. And there's no way that he's going to kind of destroy or put down this, his ideal uh, archetype for what he wants to be. Because in essence, he would be, he would be kind of browbeating himself. Yep, exactly. Because as much as he, as much as he, he's trying to, well, successfully too, he's, as much he wants, he's yeah, so desperately seeking the adoration of the mm-hmm. kind of guy that he wants to be. Yeah, you're right. So he's like, he's like, he's obsessed with the idea that they like him and that he's one of them because he knows yeah. that he's not. You know what I mean? He knows that he's not. He's like, he's not like them at all. And like, it, I guess it's just killing him, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, it's, yeah. And like, there's another line too in the movie. Like, yeah, when you watch it again, it's crazy. Like how everything predicts itself. Like there's another line where, you know, where they're looking at the rabbit, he's actually like building a fence. Peter, uh, Peter mm-hmm. and Phil went out on the horses and they've gone away from the ranch and then, like, there's this huge hay bale, I guess, and they're, like, he's, like, picking up these big posts and put them in the ground, and then, like, a, a little rabbit runs underneath, and so he's, like, hey, let's play a game, and we'll try to throw away one of the sticks, uh, the big pile of sticks. He's, like, we'll throw away and see how many we can guess until the rabbit runs out. But the thing collapses on itself, and it crushes the rabbit. And he's, like, he goes, well, I guess he's done for. You might as well put him out of his misery. You know what I mean? And then Peter just breaks the rabbit's neck like it's nothing you know what i mean like he's like yeah, okay yeah. put it out of his misery well and um yeah i i think i think kind of a an, an interesting twist is is he shows it he shows it mercy in a way or, or he's caring in a way and and i think philip kind of picks up on that or watches him as he mm-hmm. does that like he cares about it and he, he i assume that he's thinking to himself oh he can't do it you know he's just yeah he's about as weak as that rabbit or that bunny and then you just hear this click and he's yep. like, well, yeah. <laughs> and that's basically what he does to Phil. He puts Phil out of his misery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. He literally does. Phil Phil is basically the rabbit in that situation. And, and that's exactly what he does when they're alone in the barn. When he's kind of, he's making him open himself up. He's like, when he's telling him about that story. And he was like, yeah. And then we, we, we shared a bed to, to, um, to stay to stay warm to survive sort of deal and then the next line is is peter saying smoking a cigarette and then kind of passing the cigarette uh with his hand to his lips with to philip's lips and he was like naked (laughs) and it's like (laughs) you're you're about to be put out of your misery and you don't even know it yep wow it's crazy yeah yeah Great, great, great performance by that Cody Smith. I haven't seen him in any. I, maybe I have. I don't know what I've seen him in. Like, have you seen? Him he in was. In, else? He was in. Uh, he was in the road uh, with Viggo Mortensen. Oh, was he? But he was a kid. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think he was like ten or eleven, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. He was. He was in a another kind of science fiction western movie that I saw, and I cannot think of the the name of it right now. Yeah, he's he's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking through his IMDb now, and I guess he was in like X Men. Apart, oh, he's he's Nightcrawler in the the, the later X Men movies. Um, mm. 
he's in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I've, he's one of those guys, like, he's such a distinct look to him, you know? He's yeah. so, like, so gaunt and, like, um, difficult looking. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Awkward, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, great performances. A perfect casting. Like, excellent casting throughout. Oh, yeah. Um, I did hear, I did hear some people talking online. I don't know if I watched the YouTube or somebody was talking about this. Um, and they were saying how it was almost as if like this role, the role of Phil was basically pretty much written for Michael Fassbender. Like you could see Fassbender mm. doing that role. I can. Which I think yeah, is interesting. I, I yeah. can, but I'm kind of pleased he didn't. I'm pleased Cumberbatch did this because I think there's a, there's a different angle to Cumberbatch that Fassbender doesn't have. Yeah. You yeah, know? I mean, uh, I can I, I could totally see uh, Fassbender playing it and knocking it out of the park, but it it but oh hell yeah, it yeah. it wouldn't have been out of his wheelhouse, you know. Yeah, I think that's true. I think like it does feel tailor made for Fassbender, but like just because it is, it doesn't. I, yeah, you're right. I don't think it's necessary that he was cast. Like I think what's surprising is it's. I think I get I'm getting more out of it because Cumberbatch is doing it. Hmm. It mm-hmm. feels a bit more special because it's something so different for him. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I wrote super positive. So if we were going to have to, we're going to have to broach this subject soon, Eric, because we only got a couple episodes <laughs> left before the end of the year. And we are yeah. going to do an end of year episode. Like we'll do, we'll do like letterbox writers. We'll say, let's do like top 10 movies. Yeah. Um, okay. Right now, are you putting this at number one? Right now, this As would have right to be now. number one. I think right now it would be number one. Yeah, yeah, I think so with me too. I think, oh, it's tough, but yeah, I, I think it's the best movie of the year so far. So far, yeah, right. I mean, we we don't have much time left, really. I think we've only really got like licorice pizza before the end of the year. Um, yeah, what I else think, do we have I, that's I think that the only one that could kind of be a contender with it would be licorice pizza. Um, I think so too. So I, you know, I think those are going to be the, yeah, I mean, there, there could be like a, a one in there. That's kind of a little hidden one off. Hmm. I'm not sure. I mean, because we're going to see more than a couple movies before the end of the year. I'm sure. Um, Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, of the movies that are getting a lot of the Oscar buzz, not that I qualify Oscars, um, yeah, Oscar worthy movies as being the best movies of the year, but like I suppose of like the critics' listings for the end of the year so far, like there's a couple of heavy hitters that I haven't seen. Like I haven't seen the uh, Spencer, the Princess Diana mm-hmm. yeah. uh, biography. Um, I know that's getting a lot of hype. Um, I started watching Tick Tick Boom. Um, but I can't finish it because it's a musical. Um, <laughs> I don't know. That's getting a lot of hype. Um, so there's definitely movies that, that I know that you and I haven't seen that other people are like really have up there is is the contenders. But for I guess for the movies that I know that you and I have seen, I think this is the best movie of the year for sure so far. Yeah, as of right now, definitely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So with that being said, Eric what should what are our plans for the next few episodes because we've got a we've got spider-man's going to be coming out we have the yeah. matrix which we just booked tickets for the other day that's right um, yeah spider-man we need to get tickets for um 
And then we've obviously got Licorice Pizza, but Licorice Pizza actually opens Christmas Day. So the likelihood is we're not going to see that until after Christmas. Yeah, that's, um, that'll probably be after. And that's cinema only. Um, I guess the Belcourt got like a 70 millimeter print of that and it sold out like in two minutes. <laughs> not surprising. So the rest of it, they're just showing it in 35. They haven't announced the 35 millimeter screenings yet, but I guess they're going to sell out immediately too. Um, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, so I mean, conservatively, we probably got like four episodes left before the end of the year. We'll figure it out. We'll we'll wrap it up somehow. Um, mm-hmm. Other than this, Eric, is there any any is there anything you want to mention? Anything you've been watching, rewatching? Anything that um, you're catching up on? No, I mean, I I I just watched this one this weekend. I was going to attempt to watch um, the Gyllenhaal Spider Man movie. Uh, but I will get around to that before we go see the other Spider-Man movie. I also want to watch the last uh, Matrix, Matrix Three. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what is that one. Revolutions, uh, revolutions, Rebe- yeah, rebellion, whatever. I want to watch the third <laughs> one because I I know the first one. I know the second one by by heart. So I just haven't watched the third one in a while. So I want to watch that one before uh, Matrix Four. Uh, I want to watch The Souvenir before The Souvenir Part 2 comes out because I, I hear Souvenir Part 2 is getting like kind of a, a bit of buzz right now. So yeah, it was always kind of on my radar to watch. So I'm going to watch The Souvenir. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those are kind of what I have planned right now. There's the Coming Home in the Dark just got released on Netflix. I want to watch that. Yeah, I saw um, that the other day. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that I'm that's gonna sl- start to fill up my plate here in a bit. Yeah, I feel like the, I I feel like I'm cramming before like a an exam. Like I've got to <laughs> catch up with all this shit and like start yeah, going through everything. Yeah, I definitely yeah. want to do that too. I want to see the souvenir. Um, I started watching. I I wanted to watch that movie, uh, Pieces of a Woman, um, which I think is from last year. I don't think it's this year. Um, I started watching that the other night, but it's too heavy, so I don't know if I can watch that movie. Um, mm. But it's really good. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I'm in cram mode, so I've just got to catch up, watch a bunch of stuff. I'm the same with you on The Matrix. I've seen the first yeah. two Matrixes so many times. The last movie, which I think is the weakest Matrix movie, is the yeah. one I'm least familiar with, but I think is going to be clutch in us really getting the most out of the new Matrix movie. Yeah, um, yeah. At least I think so. Um, so I want to watch that. Um yeah, I, I watched, um, I finished the Tiger King uh, part two, like the second part of that, um, which is worth a watch if anybody's seen the first Tiger King. I know everybody did because of the pandemic, you know, it became like a <laughs> sensation because of that. It's interesting though, I'll say that because I definitely had like a bit of a uh, change of heart when I watched that. Like first time I watched the Tiger King and it was obviously during lockdown and everybody's super miserable, like... I definitely took more of a lighthearted side to that when I was watching that. Like I, I viewed the characters more through of a lens of like, this is funny. You know, like these, these characters are funny. Mm-hmm. The second season in light of post COVID post 2020 plays very differently in the sense that like when I watched it, it actually really depressed me the second season <laughs> and um, definitely made me rethink like a lot of like my attitude towards that, you know, like, these like horrible shitty fucking animal abusing assholes 
You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was, yeah. I was watching, I was like, oh, I feel dirty about the whole thing now. The whole thing feels gross. So I probably wouldn't recommend that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't watch any of them, so I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think you should watch it if you've seen the first season, but like, other than that, no, I probably wouldn't recommend it. Um, but yeah, no movies, no time for movies other than the ones we've got to do. So, okay, yep. well, I think that wraps up another exciting episode of Movies Last Night. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, not sure what we're doing next. We'll figure it out. Um, just stay tuned. Um, I'm pretty disappointed because of the, the art that I drew for this episode I'm going to have to drastically edit before I put it out on the episode. <laughs> Otherwise we're going to get pulled from Instagram and Spotify, I guess. So I, I think we should make an uh, NFT of it. I, I, I think it's amazing, but I, I, I think you're right. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm glad, really disappointed. I'm, I'm probably only a, uh, maybe a couple of, I assume maybe a small handful of people who have seen it. So I get to go to the grave with this one. Yeah, I don't think the world. I don't think the world's ready for my art for Power of the Dog. Um, <laughs> it's my favorite one that I've done so far too, which is really why I'm really pissed about it. But uh, I don't know. I'll figure it out. I'll figure out yeah. how to get it up there. Anyway, that's a, that's just a sidebar. Uh, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening, Eric. You have a, yourself a stellar evening, and I will see you tomorrow, buddy. All right, we'll see you later. Okay, bye. <laughs>